0: This is Life Body Business Impact with Fatima. Welcome friends, I'm so grateful to have you here. I'm your host Fatima Ingalls, fitness expert, best-selling author, lifestyle entrepreneur, founder of the Life Body Business Fit Systems and co-founder of the amazing Freedom Retreats. My mission is to positively impact 10 million lives, to inspire you to wake up and live from your bucket list of dreams instead of waking up one day with a bucket list of regrets. Get ready to be inspired with weekly episodes and interviews that disrupt your thinking and motivate you to build your best life, body, and business. To change one life is to change many, so come with me now and let's get started with yours. friends, welcome to another episode. Today, we will be chatting with Dr. Carla Brion. Carla is a holistic practitioner based in Adelaide, South Australia. Dr. Brion is a qualified doctor of traditional Chinese medicine with a double degree in applied science. She's a registered herbalist and acupuncturist who has trained not only in Australia, but also in China. Now, Carla believes in the importance of restoring balance in every aspect of your life. In Nurturing Your Physical, Mental and Emotional Health Awareness, she works with patients to make lifestyle and dietary adjustments to complement her Chinese medicine treatment and help them get the best results. She's also super passionate about integrative medicine and educating her patients, focusing primarily on digestive issues, gut health, women's health, including hormone balancing, PCOS and endometriosis, as well as emotional disorders such as stress, anxiety and depression, which is rampant in our society these days. Although, Dr. Carla is now best known for her knowledge in supporting natural fertility. I'm so excited to have her here. Carla, thank you so much for giving us your time today and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to be here. Carla, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about how you came to be an integrative therapist or practitioner. What led you to traditional Chinese medicine?
1: Well, it's um, a bit of a – I feel like I almost fell into it. So I was – I finished high school and I kind of went to uni not really knowing what I wanted to do and I just picked any degree. So I ended up in um, like a journalism media studies degree, which – looking back now is it was fun and interesting but so far removed from like from my so my soul calling. And then I kind of realised one day that it wasn't you know, fulfilling me and it wasn't the right thing for me. So I kind of just pulled out of uni, moved to Melbourne the next week and in Melbourne I met a holistic practitioner who brought me back to my roots and my roots of, you know, wanting to look after people, wanting to heal, care for people. Um, my mum's a nurse, so I spent a lot of time in hospitals, you know, Around that kind of healing energy, um, and I used—I remember being as a, as a kid, I was really into nursing my teddies and looking after and the neighbors' pets and other kids. So yeah, I think I just kind of woke up to my calling in a way, and just wanted to do something with my hands, healing like healing hands-on. Um, nothing too, I guess, you know, westernized because I just didn't feel like that was. As much as I love hospitals, I feel like I just wanted to do something really hands-on. So I kind of just found Chinese medicine. I got some books on it, studied up, and then I looked for a suitable degree in Australia, and then I found the one in Melbourne and just jumped into it.
0: That's beautiful that you um, had the courage to change from something that you thought you were supposed to do in uni to what you said Mm -hmm. was your soul calling to be a healer I guess you talk about being very yeah. hands on so to me the first thing that came to mind was that you know your soul calling is to be a healer.
1: Yes that's right and it's funny because you know I, I I moved to Melbourne and then I moved back to Adelaide and that's kind of when I decided that's what I wanted to do but I had to apply and I had to do all these bridging courses so it was a bit of a process um, and then as soon as I got in I moved to Melbourne and while I was there I, I was pretty much like semi-homeless for the first year like living in people's lounge rooms garages I was even in a hotel for a few months and you know it was just so hard I was like this is killing me I've just left all my family and friends and I don't have anywhere to live but the, the passion and like I guess the the way that I felt about studying Chinese medicine and the way it just kind of clicked for me it was like way greater than the struggles that I was having so yeah I just kind of knew I was in the right place that no matter what what I was going through I was like you know what this is where I need to be so, yeah.
0: Yeah, that, that is really beautiful. You know, um, there's a lesson there in in following your calling once you work out what it is or what when something feels right, whether it is in life or whether it is in, in business or, or studies. There's a message there for all of us in relation to sacrifices and sometimes the tough times you have to go through in order to follow your calling. And I mean, you're at an, in an amazing place now and doing amazing things mm-hmm. and touching so many people's lives one of my philosophies is to change one life is to change many it's a massive that's right and yes imagine had you not followed through and lived in the hotel room and and had the tough times away from your family and friends to follow this passion how Mm -hmm. many lives you have managed to impact that would not have been impacted by you
1: yeah that's right yeah i've never really thought about that i guess like The alternative, you know, maybe if I'd stayed in that first degree, you know, doing media and, you know, ends up as a journalist or just, you know, dropping out altogether and not following kind of that intuition. I've never really thought about the alternative.
0: Yeah, well, you didn't take the alternative, so um, it's wonderful (laughs) that that you're doing what you're doing. I'd love to talk to you about busy life and how it is affecting our hormone health. Obviously, hormone health is something you specialise in. How is the lives that we lead today—the very busy lives—and even maybe the impact of social media on our lives—affecting um, people's hormone health? Well, that's um, that's a
1: bit of a can of can of worms topic. It's just it's so broad and could be here for hours. But I think um, from like a you know a real zoomed out point of view when we're talking about our lifestyle it's so far removed from what we are like our roots as humans and the way we function like even just the fact that we do nine to five with you know maybe a half an hour break in the middle it is just so beyond what our bodies were meant to do even the fact that most of us sit all day on chairs you know it's just the basic things that you know we're we're so far from you know what we started out to be and I think um Women, especially, and women's hormones are really um, affected, and they've taken a toll on on our health. Uh, and you can see this in the in the crazy numbers of fertility issues, of endometriosis, of PCOS, of thyroid disorders. You know, this is all due to hormone imbalances and whether they're due from, you know, genetics or epigenetics or um, toxins or diet or maybe just a combination of them all, there's no doubt that stress and lifestyle um, plays one of the biggest roles in causing hormone disruption. So um, on a very basic level, where if we're too busy or if we're kind of just go, 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 we're not actually stopping and relaxing and breathing properly and our body is kind of running in this, fight-or-flight state or, you know, the it's a sympathetic nervous system kind of overdrive. And essentially our body just thinks that we're trying to survive, we're running away from a tiger to, to stay alive. So when we're in this kind of fight-or-flight state, we've got adrenaline, cortisol, all the stress hormones pumping through our body and essentially all the blood flow goes to the, the main vital organs and to the extremities as if we were running from the tiger. Uh, and when we're in this, our body doesn't function as well so blood flow to the gut um is impaired and also blood flow to the womb the ovaries the uterus our whole reproductive organs is also you know greatly uh decreased so therefore they're not getting the nourishment that they need you know no blood no oxygen no nutrients to our womb and our ovaries so That in itself is quite significant, and and when you look at the role that the stress hormones play on the reproductive hormones, um, they can really impact things like um, insulin or progesterone and estrogen. So we're getting this imbalance of our female sex hormones. Stress can really affect PCOS, and it can it it can really um, increase the severity of things like endometriosis, and it can also really play an impact on your on your fertility because this all relates to your, you know, your your mental health and your well-being. And I mean, a lot of us are starting to realise that there's a massive connection between the gut and the mind and that, you know, mind gut connection, because our gut is our second brain. It's our emotional centre. And in our gut, we make, you know, all the neurotransmitters. It it helps our immunity and um, having, I guess, decreased blood flow to the gut can impact everything. So yeah, it's, at a, at a very basic kind of scientific level, if you want to look at it that way, um, it's just creating havoc in our body in a way.
0: Yeah. Um, the gut-brain connection, I guess, that people are learning a lot more. There's a lot more information out there and people are becoming a lot more aware of that. But you talked about so many amazing things there. I want to go back to epigenetics, not people. Mm-hmm. Not too many people know what epigenetics are. Can you give us a little bit of an insight onto epi, epigenetics and how they are affecting an everyday person like me sitting here at my desk, or mum or dad driving to school, or or the business person sitting in there in their corporate job right now?
1: I will try. I'm probably not as um, schooled as I could be, and, and maybe my terminology might be wrong, but I'll try and put it into. I guess layman's terms, the way that I understand it without having to go in, like without doing, you know, massive amounts of study and extra courses and research. Yeah, well, in a nutshell, my understanding is that, you know, we've, we've got genes, we've all got like a special, a special gene coding, what our genetics that we're born with, that we're passed on and that we're born with, but some genes are switched on and some genes are switched off. So things like, you know, even celiacs, for example, you can have the gene and not actually be actively you know expressing celiac disease but if you've got the gene it has the potential to switch on which means that it also has the potential to switch off so lifestyle choices including diet um, stress factors um, exercise having you know poor lifestyle choices can actually affect our genetics and our genes and specific genes can get switched on due to that which means that we're going to express whatever that gene is and therefore have that disease or that disorder or whatever it is i guess the beauty of that is if it's got the potential to turn on then it has the potential to turn off which means that we can influence these genes with our diet and our lifestyle choices through diet we can actually especially diet we can actually change the way um, our genetics function in a way
0: yeah that's quite exciting like you said you can they can be switched on or switched off and and that's a power in people getting educated i know that's something you're passionate about and so am i is that just because there is some sort of health issue going on in your life not getting into any specifics here because maybe your lifestyle choices have caused the gene to be turned on changes in your lifestyle choices with education means that you can turn it off you know you can The way I like to put it in my layman's terms, not necessarily just in relation to epigenetics, we can create an environment in our body where disease thrives or life thrives. That's right. Yeah, perfect. It's sort of what I've had to learn for myself with my own health issues, which we're not talking about me here, so let's (laughs) keep going. In relation to endometriosis, PCOS and hormone balance, you touched a little bit on that. I guess it makes sense when you say that we are, with the lifestyle that we are living, we're constantly in fight or flight mode. Rearing a baby is your body's kind of going. No, it's not safe for me mm-hmm. to um, to have a baby now. And it's not just the women, is it? It's also what's going on in the men's bodies that can occur <laughs> Yes, exactly. It's huge.
1: That's right, and I think traditionally, historically, culturally, we are just programmed to believe that it's the woman's job. Job to fall pregnant and you know grow a baby and raise a child, so that's just like that, you know, that very traditional role. Um, and it's almost like the men have forgotten what they actually do or what their part in it. And so, therefore, we carry this burden that if if things aren't going right, if we're not falling pregnant within six or twelve months, then it's got to be the woman's fault. You know, it's her body, it's her problem. But what we don't realize is that a lot of the time it's actually due to you know it can be a combination it can be so many things all of the time it's actually unknown reasons which you know is a whole nother story in itself i could talk about for you know another whole day um but the male sperm quality is going down significantly and really quickly too so the quality of sperm not just like the, the quantity the numbers of sperm but all, like you know that men are, are having in say for one example like for one ejaculation, the numbers have decreased, but also the morphology, the way that they're actually made and the, and their motility, so the way that they actually swim. So all the quality of sperm in general has just decreased quite a lot. And not only that, the parameters of what they judge as a good sperm has also kind of narrowed and, and closed. So for example, 30 years ago, a good sperm count would be, I'm just making up the numbers here, say um 500 million and nowadays i might say you know 100 million i can't remember the exact numbers um yeah have got a bit of a brain a brain blank but even just the fact that um you know the, the quality of sperm um that they say is okay now is just so different to what it used to be 20 30 years
0: ago that is very very interesting for men out there, what are a few things, simple things, simple changes that they can apply to, that will affect the, their sperm, the quality of the sperm, the health of their sperm?
1: Yeah. It, well, it's almost like the same as um, if a woman was com- to come to me for fertility, I'd almost do like a mini life overhaul. So I'd look at her diet, what's going in her body, her lifestyle, her stress factors, type of exercise she's doing, the amount of sleep she's getting, the amount of water she's drinking, all those things. Um, and it's the same with guys. So if you want to try and influence sperm, which we actually have the power to do, with, and you know, a lot of people don't even know that you can actually help regenerate sperm into um, healthier sperm. So the, you know, even in just three months, because it takes, I think, spermatic, spermatic genesis, which is the production of new sperm, takes over about three months, So you know, 90 to 100 days, which means that in three months we can potentially get that sperm looking healthier. And the more time we've got, the better, you know, the better that the sperm can potentially be. But diet is huge. You know, alcohol, especially for men, you know, like reducing that, that alcohol, um, you know, eating a more, a highly whole food, highly plant-based diet, but little things like having wearing boxer shorts, for example, wearing boxer shorts can actually help because, You can actually literally cook your your sperm, which can cause uh, the malfunction and the shape of sperm to become deformed. You know, you might have two heads or two tails and that can be just due to wearing jocks all the time because you're literally cooking them. You know, not taking saunas and spas, keeping your phone out of your pocket because the radiation can affect the sperm quality. They're just little things that you can kind of keep in mind if you're thinking, all right, I need to get my body on track. I want to have a baby or, you know, I just want the quality of my sperm to be better. But when I do see uh, men for fertility, I give them a whole program. So I'll give them specific supplements to increase sperm quality and numbers. And I'll give them Chinese herbs, do regular acupuncture. I'll set them up with a bit of a diet plan. And, you know, we've got this male fertility smoothie that that they can drink every day. That would be
0: really great if you could actually um, share the male fertility smoothie and if people are interested you know i'll I'll pop a link in as to where they can get that from you carla yeah
1: sure i'll dig it out of my uh, computer i haven't actually seen um men since i've been back on my well i've kind of sent the mails, the guys to my colleague um my male colleague at the clinic because i've just been too busy since coming back from maternity leave i'm only doing um a few hours a week so, yeah, I've sent all the guys to him, but I'll find it for you.
0: All of that information that you shared was really, really um, interesting. And, and the thing is, it's not massive, huge, overwhelming change. I mean, you said 90 to 100 days can make a difference and it doesn't have to be overwhelming, you know, and it doesn't have to be. Yes. I think that's an important part for people to realise
1: yeah that's right and you know it is it is one of those things that depending on what's actually going on with individuals and the the severity of what their sperm quality is like it could take longer you know it could be a longer thing but um just to put it into perspective that there is hope like it doesn't mean that you have to go get a sperm donor or it doesn't mean that you have to you know uh, completely give up on that on that um hope of having a family and i think it's really I think it would be really good that uh, if more men knew this, that they don't have to just kind of roll over and give up, you know, because a lot of women do all these things to help their body become more fertile, but the men aren't really there yet. And it's almost like they, I don't, I think there's a massive thing in terms of like um, masculinity and ego, because it's a really hard thing to talk about.
0: So, yeah, and this is why I wanted to um, get you to share some tips specifically for the men because we'll, we always talk about the women and, there, like you said, there is a lot more information about what the women need to do, um, but I wanted okay. some information for our male listeners. Um, I'd love to talk about the pill. I personally was on the pill for many, many years um, before and then after having children at, during several times and with my own health issues and journey. I spoke with a naturopath and completely came off the pill, Learned a lot more about it and the effects it has on hormones and um, reproductivity and all sorts of things. So can you talk mm-hmm. to us about the pill? Yes or Well, no?
1: <laughs> I can. I will try and keep it very, very brief because, again, it's one of those things, it's a bit of a wormhole that you can really dive into and it's it can almost become political because it is one of those things I'm quite passionate about. And I know that there are times when women might absolutely need it, but the the reality is it's grossly over prescribed, you know, like it's one of the most prescribed drugs that we have in Australia, which is scary in itself. And it's just, it's being prescribed without the education that the women or, you know, the young girls, the teenagers um, actually need. So they are kind of taking this, trusting the doctors, um, and not actually understanding what it's doing to their body. Most of them are either you know, going on the pill at a very young age because they might have irregular periods or they might have skin problems, but the pill was purely made once upon a time for contraceptive re- reasons to you know, not fall pregnant, but it's just been overused and overprescribed for all these other reasons. Um, and the fact that um, we're now understanding all the side effects that it has um, and how potentially dangerous it can be for specific women, you know, like blood clotting issues, um, to name to name one of them. Uh, it's it's really quite scary, um, and I think we're actually starting to wake up to it a little bit, which is great. And I really, I really hope that we move towards that kind of more of a natural approach when it comes to balancing a hormones and doing the natural approach first rather than kind of going in the pill and then being like, oh no, actually, this isn't working. Let's try the, the natural now. You know, it would be nice to see the natural be the first point of call rather than going straight to the doctors for the, the prescription of the pill.
0: So what is actually happening when a woman is taking a full cycle of the pill? What What is her body going through?
1: Well, it, it's almost as if, like not specifically, but it's almost as if her body thinks she's pregnant so the the hormone i guess the hormone cascade that would be going on isn't happening um and essentially it's like her body um it's not properly ovulating and her ovaries forget to work those hormones forget to talk to each other and the biggest thing which you know from a chinese med point of view is um aside from the fact that it can cause further hormone imbalances because it is a synthetic hormone mimicking and interfering with your natural hormone cycle, it doesn't let your body have its monthly cycle. So when you're actually bleeding, when you have a period, you take your the pill for say 21 days and the sugar pill for seven days. When you bleed, it's a withdrawal bleed. It's not an actual period. It's a drug withdrawal bleed. So you know your body isn't having a full um, cycle of you know um, progesterone and estrogen going up and down and your body temperature going up and down and having that detox once a month through bowels and your bowels move before your period. And most importantly, your endometrial lining isn't flushing every month. So you kind of get old blood kind of building up and then a little bit will fall out, but you don't actually get the whole lining, you know, regenerating, building up and then shedding and starting anew. So it can create, all sorts of issues uh, in the endometrial lining, but it can also cause other issues. So um, without there being any scientific evidence, it has been known to be associated with causing PCOS, possibly, um, I mean, a lot of women who have endometriosis get put on the pill because it can help their symptoms, but it's a band-aid approach in terms of the way it helps their symptoms because they're not having proper periods, they're not having the pain um, associated with their periods, but it doesn't necessarily... Um, fix their endo, it kind of just puts a band aid on it. Um, and from again back to a Chinese men point of view, it causes uh, internal heat because it's it's quite drying. So it can cause your body to be a little bit hotter and drier, but it can also cause blood stagnation because you're not having that free flowing blood, that free flowing period every month. Um, which means that you know you can get um, all sorts of Chinese from a Chinese men point of view, blood blood um deficiency blood stagnation um yin deficiency these kind of things which lead to all sorts of imbalances
0: yeah it's quite quite interesting i know being on the pill since i was about 16 up into my early 30s and even up like it was after i'd had my three children i actually Mm -hmm. thought that while being on the pill that bleed was a period was an actual period i had no idea that that, that wasn't the case mm-hmm. until um, some years back when I went on my own natural health and healing journey. So, and I know so many mm-hmm. people, so many women that I speak out um, speak to out there and even coaching clients that are of the same opinion, some around mm-hmm. my age, some a bit younger, some older. So again, it's that, that education. And I hope that there are women um, listening to what you have shared today that, um, and even men who share it with their, their partners, um, what the importance of getting the education around this so that you can make informed decisions about...
1: Yes, that's right. I body. think that's the biggest thing because, you know, again, there are times when someone might really need it um, and I'm not denying that because I definitely think Western medicine has a place and I'm all for bridging that gap between Western and East and, you know, ancient and modern. Yeah. Um, and I like to work with doctors and GPs and gynecologists, but I just think the number, the, the rate at which it's being dished out is just too much and without the proper knowledge and education behind it, I feel like um yeah, that's a bit of an issue. Because I i just see the the other end of it. Like I get women you know coming into me who want to come off the pill but they're scared that their skin's gonna break out. And it does, does it does go crazy if that's what they're on it for. And I get the women who have come off the pill and they're not getting their period it might be six months or twelve months or even two years that they haven't had a natural period for. So I'm kind of cleaning up the mess that the pill, the pill is making and it's causing all sorts of um, fertility issues that we need to kind of work with. So, you know, if I can give any advice, it would be to really think about, I guess, tune into your body and see if it's actually working for you, if it sits well with you, not just from a physical kind of point of view, but like from more of like a holistic, spiritual point of view, whether it sits with you energetically. Um, and if you are looking at, starting a family or, you know, um, getting your body kind of a bit more on track in terms of fertility, then I would give yourself a solid year to um, get off the pill before you want to have a baby. I mean, they say, you know, three cycles, but I think it would be, it it will do your body a lot better to take more time off because it can take quite a while for the pill to leave your system to, you know, almost your, your hormones and your cycle to regulate again. And the worst thing you'd want to do is kind of leave it too late where you're like, Oh, I, um, I want to have a baby like now, but I've been on the pill for 20 years or 15 years. And then your period just, um, won't, you know, it doesn't come back immediately
0: because your body's gotten what to do. So
1: yeah, just kind of leaving yourself a bit of
0: time before you, when you do come off of it. Yeah. I think it's important to really, um, ask more questions. What I learned myself, not just accept what is being told. It's just, ask more questions so that you get yeah. more information. And in relation to the pill, what if you're someone who um, isn't wanting to get pregnant or maybe has already had children and are back on the pill? Like, is it still important to, you know, what what other effects does it have or can it have to your health? That maybe you need to consider um, before deciding to go on it or or stay on it, whether you're, even if you're not looking to have children, if fertility isn't an issue necessarily,
1: yeah, well that's right. It can, it, you know, it can cause a lot of emotional imbalances. Whether it be like heightened irritability, um, it can cause depression. It's been known to be linked with depression. Um, so there is like the emotional side. But again, it's it is you know an artificial hormone in your body, which is undoubtedly going to have a side effect. You know, whether it be one, whether it be a handful. Um, it is just one of those things that it's not going to kind of go unnoticed by the body. And some women don't actually have any symptoms when they come, when they're on it on when they come off it, they kind of can just have that smooth transition. But I guess the longer you're on it, the more likely that it is going to cause issues and it's going to be harder to deal with when you do come off of it. So from a um, contraceptive point of view, it's totally one of those things that, you know, um, It it is a safe, a safety and it's a bit of like peace of mind, which is really important if you don't want to have any more children or you don't want to conceive or you're not even in the space or don't want to have any children. Um, It is one of those things that is known to be, you know, accurate and, um, you know, successful in being a contraceptive. But there are natural means that you can actually do if if you do it properly. And that's the big thing, like doing it properly. And this includes you know, the most accurate to be a basal body temperature charting to figure out when your fertile window is and when you ovulate. So in that fertile window, you obviously try and abstain from having sex or if you do want to, then you use you know, backup barrier methods and be safe. So you can just do the old-fashioned way of doing your basal body temperature every morning, um, which there are rules to it to make it, you know, make sure you're doing it correctly because you can stuff it up and then that can throw everything out. Um, but you can actually get um, new devices. For example, I'm about to purchase myself. Um, it's called a Daisy and that's like a little computer which tells you when you're fertile and ovulating. So there are ways around it. So you don't necessarily have to go on the pill. It's not your only option. There are natural alternatives out there.
0: Yeah, so if you're not wanting to put those, um, even like if fertility is an issue and you're not wanting to just put those synthetic hormones into your body or, you know, you're having mental health uh, stresses because or related possibly to the pill, there are other ways around it. I guess that's what the takeaway is. That's right.
1: Yeah. And I know personally, like I've never really been on, I've been on the pill maybe a couple of months here and there in my life, but I know I remember like when I was 18 or 19, I remember trying it and thinking, all right, let's give it a go. But within a month I just didn't recognize myself I not only did I feel uncomfortable in my body like I I'd retained water I'd put on weight my, my boobs got bigger but I was emotionally a wreck like I was just I was so angry and upset and I just I didn't feel like myself and um I, I I ceased taking it and then a couple of years later like maybe five years later I was going to India and I was like you know what I'll just try it again even just for one month just while I'm in India because I'm nervous of the sanitary like hygiene issue in India. So I'll just take it for one month. But literally within a week, I was that person again. And it just it, uh, really played with my mental health and my emotions. And um, my partner at the time, he was affected. And um, yeah, it, it was really horrendous. And it makes sense now because a few years later, I was diagnosed with endometriosis which is an estrogen-dominant kind of autoimmune disorder. And so if you've got all this excess estrogen in your body, putting an artificial estrogen in your body can only, you know, or can often cause uh, cause issues. And a lot of the women I see who have endo, who've been prescribed the pill, they, they, say it, they say it just doesn't work for them. Some people, they don't have any issues and they don't notice it, but a lot of the women who have endo and take the pill notice, especially the mental health aspect. So... Yeah, that's really, it's really quite oh, really, really
0: interesting, interesting mm-hmm. information um, for women out there to know from teenagers up to, you know, any age. Um, mm-hmm. You talked about the estrogen there. Are there certain foods that affect women's estrogen levels?
1: Um, for me, I, I mean, the, the obvious one would be, I guess, animal products
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: like meat and dairy because. They're coming from animals have their own estrogen. Not only that, you know, if it's like factory farmed or whatever, they're giving they're given hormones to boost them and grow them and bulk them up, and they're given antibiotics and all these sorts of things. And then they're often fed the, the food that they're given is often crushed, you know, squished up, crushed up dead animals. Like chicken are fed chicken, so that's just you know more estrogen and more hormones. And then if we're eating just regular chicken, you know, that's adding to our hormones and the same as, you know, as dairy and milk because our genetics are so similar, it's more likely to interfere with um, our own hormones. So,
0: yeah. Very, very um, important to, to be aware of rather than people just going, oh, you know, you shouldn't eat meat or you should eat less meat or, or less dairy because it's not good for your health, understanding the reasons why and, and how and why it can affect it. So, uh, yeah,
1: and there's so many reasons, like there's so many different ways that it can affect. And I mean, there's a lot of research to show that, you know, highly plant based, not, not necessarily purely, but highly whole food plant based diets are good for not just endo PCOS and not just hormone, but autoimmune inflammatory. And, you know, they're they used worldwide to reduce or to reverse, you know, heart disease and diabetes. It's kind of one of those things that's, it's an all rounder. Yeah. But the one thing I was going to say is there's a lot of almost food demonization, for example, like some people think that soy is, you know, like the devil when it comes to um, hormones, which is not necessarily true because there's a lot of research to show that it doesn't, you know, it doesn't cause you to have man boobs or anything like that, which is these ridiculous kind of fallacies. So yeah, there's, there's often a lot of that kind of going around as well which
0: can be there is and that's part of the issue right because people are trying to sometimes people are trying to make some changes and decisions and there's so many so much information out there and you know certain people believe that you should eat this way or practice you know this methodology or that methodology and usually i say to my clients you know what again ask the questions what feels right for you if you don't have enough information ask for some more so that you can make an informed decision about what works for you and what mm-hmm. one person is dealing, dealing with in their body and in their mind can be very different to what another person is doing. So method A might work for one person and not work right. for another. So it's not about, I don't think it's about making anything in particular wrong or bad. Mm-hmm. It's about finding what works for you and getting you. informed. So, I mean, yeah, I'm, not a huge meat eater as well but I completely understand what you're saying in relation to the meat and dairy I'm not a massive fan I look back over time and think well all these hormones that are affecting our body and and hormones not just fertility but mental health and all a whole host of other health issues back in the old days dare I say the old days you know there wasn't (laughs) hormones in in the food that the animals are eating that are being passed on or being injected with and being passed on to what we eat and what then goes into mm-hmm. our body. So we're living in a very different world um, in terms of the food that's available to us. To yeah, that's right. To. So there's a massive, this, there's just a massive flow on effect, isn't there?
1: Yeah, that's right. And it's not just the hormones that they're injected with, but it's the quality of life, their overall health, their happiness, their energy, there's like so many layers and levels, but not even that. It's just the, the pure amount, like, you know, the normal amount, the recommended, you know, meat intake is, you know, two to three servings a day when some people actually have two to three servings, sorry, two to three servings a week when some people are having that a day. So that's just a big shift in, in that Western world. You know, that you know not so much in Asian countries. It tends to, it's tend to be a little bit less and they probably eat more of, you know, fish or whatever. Um, and... You know, without going to too much too much detail, the, all the studies show that the Mediterranean diet is one of the healthiest and you know best for longevity. And that's really high in, you know, vegetables, um, you know, natural oils, freshly caught fish, all that
0: kind of stuff. You know, it it is yeah. um, very basic. All the all the good fats as well. Um, I'd love to switch here yeah. now. And you mentioned something about spirituality earlier. I'd love mm-hmm. to talk to you about. Ancient wisdom, um, rituals, self-care. You've mentioned recently one of your posts and there's a a quiz attached so we can pop a link up to that one. You've mentioned your constitutional element, uh, Chinese medicine and your personality. Can you talk to us about that? I find it to be quite intriguing and interesting.
1: Well, Chinese medicine is based upon a couple of principles which make up the, the whole universe, the energy of the universe, but everything in it. So it's based upon yin-yang, which is opposing opposites and you know interrelated forces of day, night, hot, cold, um, dark, light, feminine, masculine, for example. But um, the five elements is also a huge part of how um, the universe, our bodies, our health, our emotions, everything within our world is kind of... Um, working and interrelating. So the five elements are uh fire, earth, metal, water and wood. And those five elements um correlate to the five seasons, to the five main emotions, the fire and then they've got their own organ and energy attached to it. So you can actually um almost figure out a little bit more about yourself as as a person and your health and your you know your well being, your mental health, physical health due to what constitutional element you are and when we're talking about that I mean in terms of what is your element that is most weakest so we, we all have you know we're made up from the earth we're part of this earth we are completely in tune with the way nature with our environment with the seasons you know we are part of um the world around us whether we kind of realize it or not um and we do have all of the elements within us we have um the fire the earth the metal, the water, and the wood. So fire is joy um, and often love. Earth is worry, overthinking. Uh, metal is grief. Uh, water is fear. And wood is anger. So we've got all these five elements and five emotions within us, but one of them tends to be weaker and needs more nurturing and supporting because that is, that is our constitutional element. For example, I'm a metal element. Uh, metal responds to it corresponds to the autumn uh, to autumn and is the emotion of grief and looking back um you know i have and the, the main organs are lungs and large and large intestine and the lung is all to do with skin the large intestine is all to do with you know waste and digestion and these are kind of my main issues oops my dog just jumped on my lap <laughs> sorry <laughs> that's okay um,
0: dog can join in is it Gypsy? yes it's gypsy she's gypsy playing. gypsy's just joining in on this podcast interview it's all good <laughs> and
1: sarah just woke up so you might
0: hear her chirping in the background oh, beautiful. so you have got the whole family <laughs> that's carla's um, yeah. baby girl
1: 11 month right.
0: yeah 11 sorry 11 oh. month oh my god i knew i meant 11 <laughs> month in my head <laughs> i've yeah, got well, 11 year 11. old son that's why <laughs> that's totally fine I would be a little shocked if she's 11 but <laughs> almost am distracting you from from what we we're talking about let's get back to it totally
1: fine so yeah if you can understand a little bit about your element um then you can understand a little about a little bit more about the way your emotions work or the way you're more emotionally inclined uh it can also tell you a little bit about the way your body works in terms of health like you know what organs might be affected what your general sicknesses might be so yeah i get a lot of sinuses stuff i get a lot of digestive stuff i get a lot of skin stuff they're my kind of issues that i have and they're all related to my large intestine and lung from a chinese point of view and i really relate to the personality type of um a metal element and i did i made this quiz based on the five elements and it, it might not be 100 percent accurate because it is you know really basic there's 13 questions and when we are di- diagnosing someone to find out their constitutional element we use visual so it's sight the way that their skin the energy of the skin the smell of their, their bo- like they've actually got a smell um it's the way that their voice sounds so the intonation of their voice and the energy of their voice so there's all sorts of things that we use to diagnose someone so it may not be 100 accurate but it is pretty it's it's been pretty spot on with most people and most people would kind of relate yeah it's really it's a really old school kind of classical Chinese medicine approach and not it's not practiced you know it's not the main form of Chinese medicine that most people know like it's kind of an an old school of thought in itself but for me I'm really just passionate about the elements and the way that they interact with our lives and our emotions and our health and knowing someone's element can really help me in deciding what formula or what acupuncture points to use for them or even just um, understanding their emotions and their, their personality, which might help, help me treat them further. So, yeah, it can be really, really interesting just to find out what you might be from that Chinese medicine point of view.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's very interesting. I love that you um, have such a huge holistic approach. I think it's the best way to approach uh, our health and life. Guys and girls, go and do that quiz. I'm going to pop a link to that quiz um, down in the show notes. So please go and do the quiz. It'll be really, really interesting for you. Carla, are there any parting thoughts? Are there any practical steps that people can incorporate into their life, like three practical steps that they can incorporate into their life for better health, whether they're looking for fertility or overall better health?
1: that's hard three steps is very very hard but I think the biggest thing would be to seek help you know get support you're not in this alone you don't have to do it alone you're not an expert in every field that you might need to be in and I you know I always refer I always work with other practitioners because I definitely don't know it all and I can't do it all and I have my field so really educate yourself and use the education of others in terms of you know getting yourself back on track I think the other the second point would be um to really practice self-care and do all the things you can do at home so that when you do see a practitioner, for example, if you do go get acupuncture, then you're going to get better results because you're doing, you're doing the work yourself. You can't just put it all up on a practitioner to fix you or heal you. You've, you've got to do the work yourself. So self-care practices like meditation, breathing, journaling, gratitude exercises, that's, you know, they're little things you can do to um, support your health and well-being and hmm, the third thing I guess would be um to I guess take a step back and look at look at your whole life and almost um zoom out and see if there are anything that you know anything that doesn't really sit well with you or you think there's something that's really you, you know you're not living according to your values or living in alignment or just something you feel like isn't right and you know you can look at changing that or improving that whether it be the way you exercise, um, whether it be you know dealing with your emotions, whether it be your stress levels, whether it be your diet and the way you eat, the food that you eat, food where it comes from, all of those things. I think it's just really um, looking at your life as a whole and considering mind, body, spirit, diet, lifestyle and environment and all those factors and seeing where you know you can tweak things and improve things even if it's just one little thing a day or one thing a week or one small aspect of all of those things you know you can make you can make a difference and you have the power to you know heal yourself and work with your own health
0: wonderful thank you so much carla where can people connect with you where can they follow you if um if they're wanting to book an appointment? where would they find you if they're just wanting to follow your Instagram page, which I absolutely love. It is full of lots of really um, interesting Thank information. <laughs> um,
1: my Instagram is at Dr. Carla Brion. So that's d r c a r l a b r i o n And my website is tonic.com.au. So my brand is called Tonic um, and that's ww.t-o-n-i-q-u-e.com.au
0: beautiful thank you so much Carla I really really appreciate your time and I'm sure that the listeners will have taken away so much valuable information
1: thank you so much for having me I hopefully I didn't ramble on too much but I really appreciate um, you know the fact that I can be you know given a voice to help in even if it's just one small thing that you take away then I'm just yeah I'm appreciative and grateful for the opportunity thank you thank you bye-bye
0: Thank you so much for listening to the show. I truly hope you have found it beneficial and have taken some value from it. Hopefully, a lot. If you did, please, please share this show with anyone you feel may need to hear it. I would also absolutely love if you would take a minute or two to review this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever platform you happen to be listening to it on. With your help, we can accomplish my mission to positively impact 10 million lives. That would be so awesome. Now, if you want to connect with me or my guests on other platforms, or if you want to send me an email with questions or ideas of guests to interview, please check out the show notes. I am so incredibly grateful to have had your time today, and I can't wait to have you on the next episode. Have a great day.